You've tuned into localjobnetwork.com radio and you're listening to the LJN Radio Quad, where our radio hosts gather to share their thoughts, ideas, and perspectives on all topics employment related. I'm Lynn Molitor, and joining me in the quad today is Jacqueline Peterson. Hello. Laura McBain. Hi, everybody. And Ashley Fitzgerald. Hello. After a brief hiatus, the quad is back and we have so much to talk about that there isn't enough time, so we better get started. So Jacqueline, you're going to start us off. Yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, tips for job seekers attending job fairs. And I bring this up because two of my direct reports went to a veterans job fair last week. And we talk about tips all the time. And so they're very keen on what job seekers should and shouldn't be doing. And it was interesting to hear the feedback. I mean, they were getting sound bites and, and natural conversations with their boom mic and just picking up different sort of um, audio. And the feedback I got was, you know, I'm so glad that we do these types of shows or these articles that we have out on our website because as we were collecting this information, we were cringing at what job seekers were saying or what they weren't saying or how they were dressed. And it was so funny because, you know, these are my direct reports who I'm having to groom and to shape and to kind of help them see, you know, the value of what we do and to see them go out there and for their own eyes witness and to come back and say, it made, me, it made me cringe. I thought, okay, we need to give the hard and fast rules of what to do when you attend a job fair. So I just maybe want to okay. circle around and just let's give some tips for these, these job seekers so that they can be successful. Sounds good. So one of the ones that I personally um, think that is important because first impressions do matter is you have to dress the part. Period. So if that means that you um, have to go buy a new outfit, I know even if you can't afford it, I know Goodwill has slacks that you can buy and button up shirts. Oh, that's a good mm-hmm. idea. Or yeah. um, you know, if you want to wear a pencil skirt and a button up shirt, I know you can find those at Goodwill. When I'm cleaning out my closet, I give all my stuff to Goodwill, and I that's primarily the clothes that I will send too. So I know they have a great a great selection. So definitely dress the part, slacks, button up shirt. For men and or women, and if if you're a woman and you prefer wearing um, a skirt, definitely put on a pencil skirt. Make sure it's, you know, hits your knee or, or maybe an inch or two above it, but that's it. Oh, good yeah, point on the skirt. Good idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Modesty. Um, I would say, uh, when I was thinking about tips, I would say do not congregate with a group of friends or uh, fellow students. It's like this is the time when you need to be an individual and employers want to talk to you as a person. Mm -hmm. When I would work a career fair, you know, on the business side of things, I didn't like getting a whole group of students because then I, you know, I'm talking to a group and no one is like kind of registering in me like to take back. It's like, oh, I remember this good conversation Mm -hmm. I had with this individual. It's like, oh, I talked to a whole group and I can't remember who Joe is from Sally is from. Mm -hmm. So that would be my tip. From my perspective, I think you need to go ready. You need to do some research on the companies that are going to be there, and you need to know who you want to target and who you want to hit. 
and then go up and have some real meaningful conversations with the people. You know, explain what you're all about, explain what you can give to the company. You know, don't just go there and meander around haphazardly and hit each booth. Go there with an idea of what you want to get out of it. And again, do your research on the companies that you're going to talk to so you can talk to them intelligently. Do you recommend for when, because you're talking about what to say and what to approach, do you recommend having them put together some sort of elevator speech, a 15 to 30 second why am I here? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Be able to, you don't want to drone on and on and on about your qualifications and all about you, but just have a short, you know, like Jacqueline said, elevator speech ready so that you can convey to them quickly and efficiently because they're going to be meeting with a lot of people that day, who you are, what you're about. And you why know. you're there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the point of an elevator speech. It should absolutely. take as long as you are in an mm-hmm. elevator. <laughs> to yeah. Say. <laughs> How many floors? Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, Laura, you hit right on it with what I was um, thinking about saying as well, just because, you know, when you're going to these events, a lot of times you are researching some of the companies. But to go off of what you mentioned, I think there's also companies that you haven't researched previous to going. So you do kind of walk past, oh, I wonder what they offer. Yeah. Don't just walk past thinking that go up and ask them the types Mm -hmm. of positions that they're offering for. Because I know a lot of times, you know, company names are a little bit uh, confusing. You may think that they're hiring for something and not the other thing. So go up with confidence, ask them the types of positions that they're hiring for, and see if you might be qualified or in line with what they're looking for. Because you never know. I mean, a lot. I feel like a lot of job seekers go to career fairs looking for the biggest companies and people they've companies they've heard of but there's smaller companies out there who might be offering something so much better you're just not mm-hmm. familiar with them so whether or not you research them um, I still say go up to them get an idea of what they're offering and then go into your elevator pitch and I do want to that's that's great advice I do yeah. want to make one comment and, and get your feedback, especially yours, Laura, because human resources will play a role um, when you talk to them. As Ashley had, Ashley had mentioned, a lot of times employers are going to direct them, you know, definitely go online and apply. That would be the follow-up. So my question is, A, how quickly do you do that as a job seeker? And then is there somewhere in there in that online connection that you make that you should say, I talked with you at the job fair, you told me to apply and I'm applying. Ooh, Does that a help? Good one. Yeah. I mean, it definitely will. Because ju- you, when you go to those things, you're meeting probably hundreds of students or hundreds of people that are looking to get a job. And, you know, you try to, you know, if they give you a resume, you try to jot down notes so you'll recall. But it certainly helps if you can apply as soon as possible after that, because then you might be fresh mm-hmm. in their minds. Okay. And always try to reference, I met you at the job fair and give them something maybe that they will remember you by. So like 24 hours, try and get on a computer and follow I up. I would, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd be impressed with that. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As, a, as an employer, I'd be impressed Absolutely. if someone responded that quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would also recommend on top of that, trying to add them on LinkedIn too. Okay. Mm-hmm. So just kind of get your foot in the door. So let's, let's 24 hours. If you can't try to get it in 48 hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say so. I just wanted to um, add to what Ashley was saying uh, about 
the company name, you may not understand what kind of positions they have. We personally have run into that <laughs> because everyone thinks they know our business, but they don't think of us as a hiring entity. Right. And um, we're hiring all the time here. So yeah, don't, <laughs> when you see us at a job fair, don't walk right past us. We have a lot of Stop opportunities. It. It's funny that you say that because at the Veterans Memorial, uh, some more feedback that we got when um, the two team members had gone was, oh, so there's actually people that work there? We thought it was all automated. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That is funny. It's all it a takes computer. people behind the machines. Yeah. All right. So moving on, uh, every company has a different schedule when they do performance appraisals. And that time just happens to be now at the local job network. Part of the process often includes a self-appraisal by an employee. So how honest should a person be? Is it really important? And how much time should you invest in it? I have gotten this question from coworkers in the past. My mom used to always complain about it. <laughs> and then this morning, my neighbor actually, I could hear, she was actually questioning as well. So I've invited my <laughs> neighbor to listen in the in our <laughs> control room this, this morning so she can hear the words of wisdom that we have to share with our listeners. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in regards to self-appraisals, I think that they do take a lot. It, it's tricky to talk about yourself yeah. because you really have to focus on your strengths, what you think you're doing well. And then obviously, you you, you know, take some um, self-awareness to talk about the areas that you need to improve. And... For me personally, I also have status documents that I have to update every week, and we actually have this on the status document, so I'm getting used to doing this. I, I think what it is is really meant to help you tighten up the areas where you think you might be weak in. And the reason why I bring that up is because one time I had put a weakness, uh, an area for improvement, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Calling it like it really is. <laughs> and when I was giving it to my manager and I was explaining why I thought that was an area that I needed to improve, his perception was like, whoa, not even close. Like that is not an area that you need to improve. Why would you say that? And then I you know, gave him various examples and, and he was like, nope. That's that's you definitely have that down. Let's focus on something else. So and for me, that that was it for me. It helped me realize, OK, this is the direction that he wants me to go. And this is the direction that he wants me to tighten up on and improve. So now when I write my status reports and areas that I need to improve on or these self appraisals, I'm start, sort of going in with that mind frame of the bigger picture. How can I help my team? How can I improve these processes? And it's really for the betterment of your leadership. That's how I take it and, and, and the department that you're working on. So when I write them, I'm not I take myself out of it more of like, oh, what do I think I need to? It's more or less, what can I do to help the team and what am I weak in? So I don't know. That's kind of how I look at it. That's an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. I never yeah. even thought of it. I think it is interesting, especially when your roles are changing and maybe in the past it was definitely more uh, you focused, if you will, and now it's more of your team focused. And I think everybody does kind of go through that as well. Uh, from my personal perspective, I – have a very hard time with performance reviews, and I tend to have a much longer list of areas of improvement <laughs> than I do for positivity just because I am hard on myself. So I think um, 
that's an area. What I like about what we do here is giving ideas as to, you know, areas that maybe you're doing well in or that you want to improve upon. And I, too, am getting more and more used to it. And um, I think by giving some, you know, ways to go into it or certain things to think about, I think that really helps people who maybe are doing their first performance appraisal or first um, review process to get started. Um, You may be able to, you know, lead off of that, but that's an area that I think is really um, beneficial. As far as a time perspective, I like to maybe take a half hour and then come back to it and review it again a little bit later and kind of think through it. Um, But just to kind of get everything laid out first, about a half hour, and then keeping, you know, it in the back of my mind and then come back and review it. Yeah, I always used 30 minutes. I Mm -hmm. said, you know, at least you can... Give yourself 30 minutes. (laughs) Good start by then. Yeah. (laughs) My opinion on the whole self-appraisal and the appraisal process in general is it's, I guess, a necessary evil. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of it. But, you know, there's been a lot of studies that have shown that you're far more, I guess you get a little bit more bang for your buck if you focus more on, you know, improving people's, not their areas of weakness, but their strengths. So focusing more on that rather than focusing on, their weaknesses and trying to get them to do things that maybe they're naturally not inclined to do. So from a productivity standpoint, there's the whole school of thought that if you're focusing more on their strengths and building those up even more, you get a little bit more out of it. So that's just another way of looking at it. But, oh, I like But that. I think yeah. we naturally tend to focus, I think, more on our negative things yeah. just in general. But uh, Yeah, but I like that. I like that approach because sometimes people are not in the right role, right, or they're not assigned the right tasks, and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it's just finding where that perfect match is. Absolutely. I always um, had this conversation with my mom every year. (laughs) Um, She was uh, uh, a secretary or administrative assistant uh, to lawyers, so that was her role, and uh, she never liked giving the self appraisal. And I told her, I said, this is really a way that you can market yourself because a lot of times people, they'll have the perception that my manager doesn't understand or they don't know what I do. Mm -hmm. I said, so take the time um, to document in this um, in this appraisal what you do do and the value that you do mm-hmm. bring. Um, it's not you know to anyone's fault necessarily that they don't know that what you're doing. You're assigned tasks and you're doing them well, and that's what they expect mm-hmm. of you. But this is a good way to market yourself. Take some self time for self reflection, and I think based on the feedback that the three of you did, you know, those are all good things to to consider when you're taking the thirty minutes plus to um, to kind of say, yeah, I think I do this well, and I don't think I do this well. I'm like Ashley, though. I always had this whole laundry list on yeah, what right. I could work on, <laughs> you know. And then sometimes it's like, but I'm not even asking you to do that, so don't even worry about yes. that. So <laughs> wasted time, right? Right, wasted time. So we hope that that helped the listeners out there, as well as our colleague Sarah listening to us live. So moving on, Laura has our next topic related to commuting which is interesting because I'm sitting in the quad today with three of the people with the longest commutes at the local job network. That's true. <laughs> it's been, so I know. I know. So, That's right. I defer to all of you. I well, who even... has the longest commute? That person should go first. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 
Oh, boy. This was an interesting one for me because my long commute, which was somewhere... Well, first tell us the status. The status? Are you married? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. So maybe that's why I brought this topic in. <laughs> I tend to be rather difficult to get along with at times. <laughs> But the the uh, topic is, of course, you know, how long is your commute? And the, the study showed that, you know, if your commute is longer than 45 minutes, you're 40% more likely to get divorced. So it's it <laughs> Divorce takes, from your spouse. Divorce from your spouse. <laughs> Not from your work. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Um, you know, the good news, I guess, part of the study was that if you've been doing it for five years or more, then it's you're only 1% more likely. So you've gotten used to it by then. You've made, you know, accommodations and things of that nature. But uh, I just thought it was an interesting statistic. I mean, 40% is huge, 40% more likely to get divorced because, of course, divorce rates are are high as well. But, um, you know, and they attributed that to, you know, there's that whole loss of time. You know, some people have up to, you know, a two-hour commute each way. And that's an awful lot of time to be spending on the road. Um, and they said, too, as far as, you know, because a lot of times you'll have a longer commute because there'll be a bump up in salary. Maybe they want you to commute somewhere else. But the salary increase, they said, for a one-hour increase in your commute time would have to be at least 40%, which is a huge That I found interesting, interesting, yeah. So yeah. Um, I found the article very, very interesting. And I know that I tend to get a little squirrely sometimes when I've been driving too much. So I don't know. What did you guys think of this? I thought maybe we could uh, just start off by telling everyone how long your commutes are. Well, I currently live two hours away. I don't always commute two hours, but it's usually about an hour and a half yeah, each way. <laughs> I'm about an hour each way. Jacqueline? Door to door, it's about two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah door to door, I'm 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say my commute is a little bit different. So even though I'm technically two and a half hours away, like I'll leave my house at 530 and I get into the office at 8. But as soon as I – my commute is I'm not driving. Right. So I'm not mm -hmm. technically as far away because as soon as I get on the train, I log into work. So I'm But working. I don't think you're speaking with your spouse. Right. Oh, that's <laughs> the right. relationship part we're focusing <laughs> right, on today. Yeah. Darn. So we know so the I world am in this. Jacqueline is going down. <laughs> am I in that 40%? <laughs> and the fact that you just drove it back to work is a problem, Jacqueline. Oh, no. I hope my husband's not listening. <laughs> I hope so, too. Um, I thought the article was interesting, too. And it and, uh, I the one thing that I think I could probably resonate with the most is that um, – Commuting is long commutes is stressful. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And and many times I will come home after my long commute and I will and actually on my way home my commute is longer because my husband drops me off at the train station in the morning. So that so door to door in the morning it's two hours. On the way back, it's three hours. So when I get home on the way back, like I'll get home and I'm like, I am beat. I am exhausted. And he's like You've been sitting on a train all day. Like, what are you so tired from? Yep. And I think that that's where the disconnect comes in because then I'm, like, offended that he would even question why I would be tired because, you know, I've been working and then I had to get on the train and then I had to switch trains and get on another train and then I had to walk once the train dropped me off. And so um, 
I do think that you, the article had mentioned that sometimes you, it's stressful, it's it's tiring, and that you might say things that you maybe typically wouldn't say just because you're reacting. And I think that's something that resonates with me because if I'm stressed or tired, I'll get really short, curt, and then mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, just leave me alone and I'm going to go do something else. So I do, I do see that. But having read the article, I think it does help just to kind of be aware of it so that you might need that first 30 minutes just to kind of be by yourself and, and adjust when you get home and then you can. So I don't know. It's, it was a good, interesting article. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And um, the first sentence, I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't read this any longer because <laughs> I wasn't sure where we were going with this. But um, I think to your point, Jacqueline, a lot of people don't get it if they are not a person that commutes long distances and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get home and you're exhausted, they're like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you realistically look at it, you probably worked a 12, 13-hour day simply because of your commute. And driving can be tiring or boring sometimes too. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that just brings you down, especially on your way home. It it just kind of brings you down to another level. So, you know, it was interesting in a lot of this article um, that we were reading through that, uh, yeah, it definitely can be stressful, you know, for yourself driving. And uh, sometimes I can be a crazy driver. I admit that. But um, but then, you know, for the, the home life as well. The one thing that I noted that I think related a lot in this article, though, is it um, came back to kids a lot. And I do mm-hmm. not have any kids. And so I think that that helps um, – maintain the stress level quite a bit because my husband and I don't have to, you know, make any other uh, organizational, you know, changes at home in order to make sure that the kids are taken care of. So I think that helps a lot um, in my personal experience. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm Mm-hmm. I know from my perspective with the 20 minutes, (laughs) um, but in in regards to relationship building – I did work um, at the same company as my spouse, and when he kicked me out of the carpool, that really added (laughs) to us getting the mileage that we've had. So we're almost (laughs) at 25 years, and I think part of that is because he kicked me out of the carpool in year one. He's like, you got to get your own more. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. That's priceless. All right, so Ashley has our final topic of the day, and it is one I think many of our listeners may have an opinion about. Yes, absolutely. And interestingly enough, um, this morning when I came into work, I found out that some of our team members were moving cubes again today. So, um, you know, it definitely happens with a lot of organizations, and um, what we're talking about is really who sits where at work and what effect does it have on the company and conversations that have been had. And, um, you know, something that kind of triggered me is I was watching a show the other day on TV and the people were working in glass cubicles. And I was like, well, that's interesting. They can see each other working. They can see what they're doing. Um, I wonder how that would work from a, a cohesiveness standpoint. And so when I came across this article, I thought it was really perfect. Um, but one of the things that the article does mention is that your immediate neighbors are the people that you get 40 to 60% of your day's worth of interaction, which is really true because I took a a look at where I'm sitting and the people that I talk to on a daily basis, and that is true because then they said someone who sits two rows away is 5 to 10% Mm -hmm. chance of actually talking to them, which again, I was like, wow, that is on target because they're not that far away. But the chances of you getting up from your desk to simply go over there 
are probably not going to happen that often. So like I said, I know here at our organization, we do change um, our spots a lot. And it, it's to directly make sure that people are next to who they're managing. Um, so with that said, I wanted to kind of get your feedback on, you know, if you feel like changes help in the work environment or if they're annoying in the work environment <laughs> um, and what you guys thought about it. I think that changes... I found the article very interesting, by the way. It was it was one of a favorite of mine. But um, and the fact that they said grouping workers by departments can foster focus and efficiency, which I think we do here, because mm-hmm. we're definitely grouped by departments. But on the flip side, mixing them up can lead to innovation. So depending on the type of industry, and you might want to rethink how you have your cubes aligned, so to speak. But uh, it's just interesting. I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective that I've never been in the cube environment, so I don't have anyone to talk to, which is <laughs> why I come here and talk. Right. <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah, it would be nice sometimes to have people to talk to. and Because I hear the conversations and, you know, you guys shouting over your cubes and laughing and having fun sometimes. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, in one perspective, that's good. But, you know, I mean, there's certain jobs, I guess, that you can't do that. But um, yeah, HR is, uh, is, yeah, a, is a difficult job. Nobody to wants do to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> but I found one, one of the things I found interesting, too, about the article was when they had mixed up, I can't remember, it was accountants with another mm-hmm. set yeah. that they they did had got to do away with accountants because the other, I think it was salespeople or something, they kind of absorbed a lot of the accounting knowledge. So, I mean, you know, you can pick up other skills by just sitting near these people. So that was interesting, I thought. I thought the article was spot on, actually, because Mm -hmm. it is amazing um, that the people just a few rows away, I mean, I can't even hear them. I, you know, I rarely see them, so I don't talk to them. But I, um, is Sarah still listening? Sarah is my neighbor, and I actually do a lot of projects with Sarah. And I'd say that our effectiveness is probably a lot greater just because of where we sit in proximity to each other. And we're technically not in the same department. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought the article really had, had made some good points. Yeah, I um I will be the first to admit that when I first read the article, I was like, I can't wait wait to read this article because moving cubicles is a waste of time. <laughs> and I say that because one of my direct reports is responsible for moving cubicles, so I see the added time that is spent on his impact, his schedule of moving cubicles. And when I when we get these requests and we have to rearrange his schedule and he has to table higher priority mm-hmm. items and whatnot, in my mind, as, as his manager, I'm thinking, this is such a waste of time. Like, we've got more important things that we need to be working on. But then I was, as I was reading the article, literally I started thinking like, okay, and now I see the importance of it and the efficiency that comes out of it and really the value that it brings because to Laura's mm-hmm. point, that innovation comes out. And so it actually changed my perspective. I'd agree with that, too. Yeah, I didn't fully buy into it either. I'm like, geez, all this moving. Yeah. The funny thing is, years ago, I had put, I think it was, it was Sarah again. I think I put a gift on her cube. And I had been out of the office the day before. And then I was sitting at my desk and I look up and I'm like, that's not Sarah's name. It was actually Dan who's recorded us today. I like like put some birthday present on his desk, you know, oh, and I'm funny. like, geez, people are moving so fast you can't keep track of them. Yes. So, well, good luck out there 
listeners, now you'll understand more about the science of uh, the cubicle move. So, nice to be back with all of you in the quad today, but that is all the time we have. If you would like to suggest topics for discussion on the LGN Radio Quad, send a message to Radio at localjobnetwork.com. Tell us about how long or short your commute is to work and how that is working out for you on a personal and professional level. For Jacqueline Peterson, Laura McBain, and Ashley Fitzgerald, I'm Lynn Molitor. Thanks for listening. 